You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The scripture this morning is from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Later, Jesus himself appeared again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll we'll go with you. They set out in a boat, but throughout the night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Jesus called to them, children, have you caught anything to eat? And they answered, no. And he said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they did. There were so many fish that they couldn't haul in the net. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat around himself for he was naked and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they weren't far from the shore, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. Yet the net hadn't torn, even with so many fish. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I assure you that when you are younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. When you grow old, You will stretch out your hands, and another will tie your belt and lead you where you don't want to go. He said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. The word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks, Thanks be, be to, God. to God. Amen. Thank you, Jean, for reading our gospel lesson today. We are continuing on our year-long journey through the series, We Make the Road by Walking. We have been traveling through scriptures from the very beginning in Genesis, starting in September. And now here we are, it is after Easter, and we're in the Gospel of John. The story today happens after the resurrection. And so here the disciples are hauling their fish ashore. I love that specific count, 153 fish. And then they don't know that it's Jesus, but they get to the shore and there he is with the charcoal fire. He greets them with words of welcome and says, come and have breakfast. After they had eaten their fill and they warmed themselves by the fire, Jesus has a very important conversation with Peter. He asks not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, do you really love me? And three times Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. And then each time Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The writer of the gospel of John here is employing a brilliant literary device because he is connecting two different stories, one that happens after the resurrection and one that happens right before the crucifixion. He helps us make this connection when he uses the phrase, Peter was hurt by Jesus' three questions. You might think, well, why would that hurt his feelings? Well, if you know the whole arc of the narrative, those three questions by a charcoal fire will remind you of the painful memory that was probably seared into Peter's mind and heart of the three times he stood by another charcoal fire and he denied even knowing Jesus. It was just a few days earlier. Peter had said he would never deny the Lord, but there on the night of Jesus' arrest, Peter found himself at another charcoal fire, warming himself, and then he denied three times even knowing Christ. That word for charcoal fire that John uses here, it is the exact same word in both stories. And more than that, it is the only two occurrences of that specific word in the entirety of the Greek New Testament. So there is no doubt that the author wants us to make a connection between this post-resurrection conversation and the pre-crucifixion denial. Can you imagine the shame that Peter must have carried at that memory? That was why he was so hurt as Jesus asked this question, because he carried with him shame. Theologian Debbie Thomas wrote the following reflection on her experience with shame. She says, quote, here's a composite memory. I'm 5, 8, 12, 16 years old. I've sassed my mother or lied to my father. I've ruined a new dress or stayed out too late, misbehaved in church or ignored my chores. I've failed in some way 
trivial or terrible, and I have been caught. But the most painful part of the memory is not the discovery. It's what happens after I'm caught, after I apologize, after I'm punished and sent to my room. The darkest part is the shame. I didn't grow up in a home or a culture that practiced restoration. Despite my family's best intentions, we never found our way to a language of grace. We never said or heard, I forgive you, or I still love you. Instead, we abandoned the wrongdoer in our midst to a thick and damning silence. We withdrew affection to reestablish honor. We avoided eye contact. We shut down authentic conversation, and we rendered the offense and the offender invisible. Eventually, after hours, days, or weeks, depending on the severity of the sin, the ice thawed and life returned to a bruised version of normal. But a wound still festered below the surface. A thick, hot shame filled my body and taught me that I was unfixable, unlovable, and wrong. Debbie Thomas continued to say that this week's gospel reading begins with a shame so thick it makes me cringe. It begins with the disciple Peter battling his shame on a fishing boat. Peter, the rock. Peter, who was a fisher of men. Peter, who proclaimed Jesus the Son of God before any other disciple dared to. Peter, who walked on water, who promised to stay by Jesus' side even unto death. Peter, whose courage failed so catastrophically around a charcoal fire on the night of Jesus' arrest. He had that feeling of shame all over him. And then he goes to his fishing boat, a place that was comfortable, safe, and familiar, running toward what he knew before he met Jesus, a place where he could try to run and hide, a place where maybe he won't see his shame around him. But of course, there is no place we can go that we don't bring our whole selves. Peter might be trying to avoid Jesus by going out on the boat, but there is no way that we can avoid Jesus because Jesus shows up wherever we are. Jesus shows up even in the midst of our shame. And there he is cooking breakfast. He prepares a feast, a resurrection feast, so that Peter can come in from his cold boat, so that he can have an opportunity to see the Lord eye to eye and to be asked the question, do you love me? And if you love me, feed my sheep. But Jesus only asks this question after he has fed Peter. Once again, we see the model in Jesus of how we are to live. 
He didn't ask Peter first for an apology. He didn't make Peter have any amends. He simply said, come and eat. And after Peter had been fed, he was then able to offer him reconciliation. So often in our lives, we want the people who have offended us to come and bring their apology before we want to feed them. And yet, Jesus feeds Peter first. What would it be like for the church to be a place where people could come to bring their shame and to not feel like they have to be worthy of coming before God or worthy of coming into the church first? Too often in life, I have heard people say, well, maybe I'll be ready to come back to church after I do this. Some action of contrition, some way of making themselves better before they think they can come and be part of the church. What would it be like if Christians were known as the safe place for people to run when they are hurt? The safe place for people to run when they are weighed down with the shame and guilt of life. What would it be like if church was that place that people could run to to be fed when they're hungry? And only then would they encounter the living Christ who would offer them the freedom from guilt and sin and shame. What if that was the reputation the church had in this world? Jesus' appearance to Peter is like all of the post-resurrection appearances. It speaks volumes about God's priority. In the days following the resurrection, Jesus doesn't waste time on revenge or retribution. He doesn't storm Pilate's house. He doesn't avenge himself on Rome. He doesn't punish those soldiers who drove nails into his hands. Instead, he prioritizes his time by being with his friends, by feeding and restoring relationships. He meets Mary Magdalene and calls her by name as she cries. He offers his wounds to a skeptical Thomas. He grills fish and serves bread to hungry disciples. He heals that wounded and festering problem in Peter's heart and freed him from the shame he carried. In other words, Jesus focused on reconciliation, on relationships, on love. He spent his last days before his ascension to heaven, delivering his disciples from fear, despair, self-hatred. He wasted no time on smugness. He wasted no time on revenge. Even at the height of his power, when he was resurrected, he still chose the path of humility. He chose to linger on a lonely beach until dawn, waiting for his hungry children to realize how much they need him. He chooses to ask Peter, an honest and vulnerable question about denial. Knowing the answer might hurt, he chooses to feed 
and tend his sheep. Peter's shame meets Jesus's grace, and Jesus's grace always wins. That's the gospel in a nutshell. As writer and research professor Brene Brown puts it, shame cannot survive being spoken. In that moment on the beach, the shame that Peter carried was spoken aloud, and it could not survive the living word. Shame would not tolerate resurrection. And when shame encounters the God who is love, it is burnt to ash and scatters. Thanks be to God. Amen.